This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I talk with the legendary bassist from King Cobra and Wasp fame, Johnny Rod. He's joined by his new bandmate and songwriting partner, Tim Ryan. We hear about their new project called Rod Ryan. Johnny also goes in depth on the glory days of Wasp. Now, I apologize. There are some audio issues. I did my best to clean them up, but hang in there. The sound gets better as the interview progresses. It's a cool conversation. Check it out. All right, guys. Well, hey, Tim, Johnny, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you guys doing? <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody what you guys are up to? You're working on a project. Uh, give everybody a, a heads up on it. Oh, that was uh, the group's called the Rod Ryan Group, because Tim's Ryan, Tim Ryan, and I'm Johnny Ryan. So it's called the Rod Ryan Group, and we're writing these songs. He wrote, see, Tim is a, is a brilliant lyricist, man. And he wrote all these, he writes the lyrics, you know? And I take his lyrics and put music to it. So it's a great partnership, because because uh, I've always had, a, a, like, I've been stuck with lyrics and that I get a metal block. So, but I can, but I can, his lyrics, I can take him just write some some killer music to it I'm telling you Mike it's just really good it's like people are going to be surprised man because it's like it's kind of a departure from what I used to do but it's still every song is unique man and it's like it's deep these lyrics are deep you know they're not superficial bullshit right what kind of style music are you guys working on because Johnny people know you for you know hard rock and metal so what kind of style music are you going for well I'll tell you what man it's, 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 it's all those things we, we got rock songs we got blues songs we got heavy metal we got um, uh, a couple battles we got some really really deep Weird shit, man. Like the old doors. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, 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 it's like, it's like me and Tim grew up in, you know, in the generation of like the, the doors and the early seventies of black and black Sabbath and all that shit. So, cause, uh, and so it's like, it's a, it's a, every song is, it's got its own unique thing, man. It's like, it's like so many albums in the past that, that all the songs they sound, a lot of them sound the same. Well, this album, man, everything, every song has got its own unique thing. I mean, it's you're, you're gonna really be surprised. I gotta tell you, man. Are you guys are gonna be recording this album in the near future? Yeah, Nashville. What September tenth? No, September. Where the hell you at, man? September twelfth. We're gonna be around Nashville about a week over in September. And uh, you know, what's the plans after that? Try to shop it around to record labels. And... Well, yeah, yeah, we're going for a record label, man. We're gonna uh, our producer's gonna go for Copper Line Sony first, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's uh, he, he has some kind of he's had an in with those guys, and uh, he's got his own publishing company. So, so you know, you know, I've been in the business many many years, you know. So, and I got screwed over when I was younger, but it's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys uh, meet up with each other? Oh my God! <laughs> How did you tell him, man? Well, we we were in a bar. <laughs> that's a good start. A place called the Broadmoor, right? Yeah, it's like it's five star resort. Yeah, it's five star resort, and we were just happening. Uh, my my lady, that, that my my girlfriend, my partner, my whatever you know. So I never wrote a lyric in my life, and Johnny said uh, we were yeah, of course. I told him about we were talking about drugs and our younger life and things like that. Yeah, he said it makes you unavailable, and that just hit me. I said, Johnny, that's a song. Well, I met him, and we were sitting there talking, and we were talking about music, and I said we were talking about drugs. How you know it, it really. It, it really, it, it really made us nuts when we were younger, right? Tim and Tim could relate because Tim was a dentist. He's a dentist. He's a retired dentist. <laughs> That's no lie, man. Yeah. And the thing is, when we were talking, and I met him that night at the Broadmoor, we started talking. We were talking about doing a bunch of cocaine because we used to do tons of it, and so he. And it's like, and I said, you know, the weird thing about coke is like, when we do it, we become unavailable. That's how you said, well, I said, unavailable to everybody and everything. And he freaks out. Tim said, oh my God, that's exactly right. We become unavailable. And, we're, and, and he just, and he's 
started we started talking about it, and I don't know how we got started. Well, I started, I wrote the lyrics to a song called Unavailable, and Johnny told me keep writing, and uh, apparently I have some kind of gift to write. He does. I'm telling you, Mike, he's, he, he, he's like he's got mentally unstable, you know. But it's a blessing and a curse. No, I'm serious. It's a blessing and a curse. He can write. He writes. Uh, he can write uh, a song like this. Rosemary Lake. He'll, he'll write a song. He'll send me the lyrics in five minutes, and it's just it's unbelievable. And I can take those lyrics. Because uh, I've been playing 54 years, you know, and I take the lyrics and I just, I, I inspired by what he's saying and I could put it to music to it. Now, Tim, were, were you writing songs in the past or is this something no, just I never, I never wrote a lyric until I met Johnny. Well, he's going to keep writing and apparently I have some kind of gift. I'm really good at it. You see, man, when, when I said that word unavailable about how we become when we were doing Dust of Drugs and we were younger, he freaked out. He said, that's exactly right. And he said, and he wrote lyrics. He, and all of a sudden he just wrote something about that. And he sent it to me and, I, and it was fantastic. And I said, Tim, you know, we, I started talking to him on the phone and I said, Tim, keep on writing. And he did, man. And now in the last month or two, he's written 72 songs. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing that the, the floodgates have opened. We got we got like a, a 25 songs, 23, 23 songs to pick from for the first CD, and they're unbelievable, man. That's awesome. Who, who's going to join you on this? Uh, you got some other players, like a drummer and guitar yeah, player? I got uh, some, really, uh, some friends of mine who are up in the eastern part of the United States that I've known for some years, and they're really, really fantastic musicians. These guys are these guys are, are professional. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. And uh, and we sent them the tracks, and they're learning them, and they're going to come into the studio with us. And, uh, and they'll, they'll, when they get there, they'll know the songs, and uh, we'll lay it down, man. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like it was fate that put you guys together, and sounds like you're going to do something awesome. It really was. Well, hey, I got to tell you, Johnny, my first exposure to Wasp was when you were in it in 1986. Uh, I bought the Electric Circus album, fell in love with it. Yep. Um, yep. How did it come from you being, going from King Cobra to Wasp? How did that all come about? Well, what happened really was that King Cobra, we did two albums on Capitol Records, and we had a, a six album option, meaning that meant that you could do two albums and then, then the record company decides whether they want to pick you up for the next two albums. And when we did that second album, it, it, there was a lot of political bullshit going on within the uh, you know, uh, handful of record scenes at the end. So they, they decided to drop King Cobra right at that time. And, and, and it just so happens that, that the last tour we did in 86, it was King Cobra touring with Wasp and Ted Nugent. And I didn't know and we were down in Texas, and I didn't know that at that, that time Blackie was thinking about making a change in Wasp. I didn't know anything about Wasp. I wasn't paying attention. But he was watching me every night. He, had, he told me he had been watching me play every night, and, and, uh, and that's why he was interested in me. So when we finished that tour, we went home, and when I found out that Capitol Records was dropping King Cobra, and right at that time, they called me and asked me if I'd be interested in you know coming up and talking to Blackie and, and checking the things out. So I, and so I, I, I said, well, what the hell, you know? King Cobra was being dropped, right. so I went up and saw the Black Kid recording studio in Hollywood, and, and one thing led to another, and then I played on the album. It was funny, then because the song, I Don't Need No Doctor, right. uh, we were in the studio, past studios, we were talking, he was talking to me when I first went to see him. This was a few weeks after I got home from that tour, and uh, so he says, he goes, he goes, hey, uh, you ever heard a song, I Don't Need No Doctor? I said, man, <laughs> I said, man, I've been playing that song since 1971, I love the whole He goes, would you mind playing? And I go, give me that bass. I said, give me that bass. We were sitting in front of the recording, in the studio on the board. He goes, I said, turn that thing on, go ahead. <laughs> so he hit that button, man, and he came in, and I just went, Whoa. And I came in and recorded the whole song straight through. He was, he was like freaking falling out of the chair. And it turns out they used that, they used that recording, one-take recording I did on the album. 
That's amazing. Wow. That was one, one take Johnny, man. I'm pretty good like that. I can get you done in one take. Something. Johnny's incredible. He's a, he's a fabulous musician. Unbelievable. Well, that's what we're doing here, man. We're recording these songs with Tim. I'm downstairs. We're, we're, I'm playing the guitar, the bass. And we got a guitar, electric sitar, 12 string, whatever, man. And all these, and I'm playing all these tracks. And then, then I sing it on top of that. Then I put the vocals on. <laughs> nice. Now, what about like leads? Do you do lead guitar, Johnny? Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really, really I can play a little bit, you know, but I'll leave it up to the guys like uh, Bruce, who is a guitar player that I'm just going to be playing on our album. This guy's a machine. He's like, he's like a, he's like a cross between Randy Rose and Eddie Van <laughs> Now, Blackie, back to the Electric Circus, he doesn't seem to like that album too much anymore. What do you think of it, looking back at that album? What do I think about Electric Circus? Yeah. Well, um, I like the album, but, but uh, I think that, um, I don't know. It was kind of a transition period for Watson at that time because of, uh, Blackie was switching back to guitar. And uh, but my favorite album is The Headless Children. I gotta say, The Headless Children is my favorite album because that's just that's just uh, just it's just it was a, it felt like a band at, at, at that period of time. It felt like a band. Yeah. I think that's probably one of my favorites as well. I mean, you got some killer bass on that one too with the real me. That, that's that's some amazing stuff. Well, you know, man, uh, John Entwistle sent me a letter, and nobody knows this. I have a letter from John Entwistle. He's because you know that song is originally off Quadrophenia by the Who, right? Right. Which is 1973 when it was used. And I was listening to that album in, in high school, and then here I am in 1988 recording the real me. So I guess he heard it. So he actually sent a letter to me came to the management office and he gave it to me from John Entelsey and he was he was saying he was telling me how he thought I did a fantastic job with a song and blah 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 kind of thing I still I got the letter framed wow and that's <laughs> awesome because obviously you had to bend into the who when you were younger right oh of course man and I was listening to who <laughs> Do you think Blackie integrated a lot more of the Who sound kind of after, like, Headless Children and Beyond? Well, yeah, yeah, because he, he tried to, uh, well, yeah, he, 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 he tried to fashion himself after Pete Townsend, which is, I understand, Pete Townsend's a great, uh, great, uh, you know, writer and things, what he did. And uh, that, that's what he was doing. It was, it was more rock opera type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite all-time live albums is Live in the Raw. Um, <laughs> that was great, man. Killer was, performances. That was, that was recorded at uh, Long Beach Arena, 1987. Yep, killer, killer performances. Now, there's rumors that a lot of it's re-recorded. What do you remember about that? No, it's not. It's not. No, no. A couple songs were recorded at California Theater in San Diego, right? Yeah. In a different place, but it wasn't pre-recorded. But the, the majority of the album was was live at Long Beach Arena. There's a couple. Um, the Manimal, the Manimal was recorded at California Theater. Remember the Manimal? Yeah. Uh, that was recorded in the California Theater in San Diego and what was the other one I can't remember uh, Harder Faster yeah Harder Faster that's it, yeah, that's it. those two were at the California Theater in, in San Diego the rest of it was at the Long Beach Arena now those two that you just mentioned were those just studio tracks with audience filtered in or did you ever play them live no 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 that was live we just oh, we, we, live. we wrote them on the road and we learned them on the road ah gotcha see we were on that tour we were fucking around with them on that tour and uh and then we, we just recorded them, and it, it made its way on the album. I mean, it was live in front of people. It was just, those tracks were flown in from a different place. You know, that was California Theater, that was Long Beach Arena. One thing that I got to say, and, and obviously we've already talked about what a great musician you are, but you're a great singer, and you, you do a lot of great backups live, you know, for Wasp and, and other bands. Yeah, what I do, man, was in Wasp, uh, no, people don't realize that live, we, Blackie and I used to, he would, we would switch off. Sometimes he would sing a couple lines, and I would sing a couple lines, because in order to sing like that with your voice, to do that four or five nights a week for six, seven, eight months, man, it's tough. So <laughs> I gave him a break, you know? So I was up there going, die, 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 die
Then now, when you did the live album, did he kind of pop in and re-record a lot of the parts, or is your voice still on there too? My voice, well, I think I think Blackie went under. I think he went over and fixed a few parts. I don't know because right. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the studio when he when they were, when they were mixing it. But who knows? You know, I don't. Know. Man, I wish there was a pro shot concert of this tour. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but see, guys, me, man, rock and roll is supposed to be live. I understand. If you have some tracks like like sound effects like we used on Headless Children and certain now sound effects for certain songs, but but to actually have singing parts and playing parts recorded, I think it's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, rock and roll is meant to be played live, and if it's if it's not perfect, so what? It wasn't meant to be perfect. True. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of that going on today. A lot of people criticize that because there are bands that use you know pre-recorded backgrounds and. We're, we're, we're tracking a sequence. I know. That's one of the reasons why Seth, Seth Allen left the band. Yeah, because he was on the the drum, the the click track, and the sequence there, and, and he told me he fucked up one night. He said they were playing on Love Machine. But I shouldn't say this, but he told me they were playing Love Machine, and it came to the chorus, and it started going. Oh! You know, I go, even yeah. it's back, and it's back on that horn, kept going. Yeah, I think that's what happened to Millie Vanilli. Remember them? Let's talk about the Crimson Oil because you really weren't around for the recording of that album, but then you, then you kind of came back in for the tour. Don't what? call me that when you do the tour because you know because well, I don't know why exactly, but he's gone. I said, well, yeah, I'll do it. Pay me the money, I'll do it. Now a lot of people are obsessed with this album and um i don't know what do you think of it do you think it's the one of the best ones i think it's a good album i think i think uh, the 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 theme when he was trying to go is going after the game he got it but i just think i think the production quality could have been better but that's just me yeah i'm not a huge fan of concept album i mean i like concept albums don't get me wrong but sometimes i feel like i get i get lost if the story is not you know really out there in your face that that almost kind of slightly uh, self-indulgent and pretentious i don't know yeah and that's me because because i don't i don't uh, i never forgot where i came from you know yeah. i'm a big mouth i asshole it's i'm a big mouth italian asshole so I'm <laughs> and uh, so i don't i don't let my uh, i just uh, i just i don't know man I'm just a regular guy who got paid for what he loved to do, and I'm very fortunate and blessed. That's all. So for a while, you kind of walked away from music. What, what were you doing with yourself during yeah, that time? Yeah, I was a paramedic for three and a half years. Can you believe that shit? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm serious, man. Can you imagine calling an ambulance and I show up? <laughs> <laughs> no. Here he comes with a needle. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a real doctor rocker right there. That's right. <laughs> You could pick the people up and and, uh, and take and work on their teeth, right? What about Tim? He was a dentist. Can you believe a dentist? Yeah, well, that's the thing, man. See, we're on, we're on the road. We can uh, you know, play music and get my teeth whitened and clean. <laughs> <laughs> never got to worry if you got a toothache or something. Tim's got you. Right, well, I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, you speak cocaine, not be Novocaine. No, but you know what, man? Um... Yeah, you say it's, it's just the coolest thing that how, how Tim and I got together because you know it was, I know it was fake. There's no doubt in my mind, and it's just and everything is just falling into place to the point where it's scary, you know. But I'm not scared. I ain't afraid. I'm yeah. going to go, man. When you hear this, when these people hear this music, they're gonna go. They're gonna go. Wow, man! I just I didn't think Johnny Run was that deep. Oh, yeah. 
one more thing about Wasp, and we'll, we'll we'll get off the Wasp topic before this band ends, and they do a farewell tour. Or Blackie does one. Do you think he'll ever invite any of you guys back to do a well, final game? Well, there was a period of time not so long ago that I that I try. I, I kept on trying to. To, to, to get some kind of reunion together because I think that the fans would love it. If it was me and Chris and Blackie, yeah. I think it would have been, you know, we get a drummer up there. It's not so, you know, if it was Stan or whoever, Frank, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Steve Riley or whatever, but uh, Frank's gone, and, you know, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I got to see Frank up about about three months before he died. Oh, did you? Yeah, I got to talk to him and see him. That was wonderful because uh, just, it was nice. I got to pray with him and shit. But anyway, the, uh, I think I tried some not too long ago. Contact Blackie and people management contact him and he just wouldn't do it, man. No. And you know, and it's, I think it sucks because the fans will love it. I think everybody, how old are we now? We're all in our sixties, you know. Let's put this bullshit aside and just go out and make some money and have fun, you know. Yep. But I guess I guess some people just can't let things go. What I can, you know, but they won't. You know. Yeah. What about, I, I always had the idea, it's too bad all the former Wasp members couldn't get together with like a different vocalist and do do a project. That would be pretty cool. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, open, I'm open to anything, man, because I don't hold grudges. I don't, I don't you know, yeah, I can understand when we're younger, but it's like, how, how fucking old are we now? You know, get over it and get the fuck on with it, you know? I hear you. Whatever happened to the yellow, uh, what was it Mockingbird or Ironbird? What, which one was it? Yeah, the Ironbird, man, the Ironbird. You still yeah, got it? Uh-huh. This guy got it, and uh, he won't give it up. So what can I say? What kind of basses do you play today? Oh, PRS, man. Paul Reed Smith. Nice. Little the best. Yeah, I like it. Like five grand a piece, but they sound really good, and they kick fucking ass, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I still play four string because these young guys go, Hey, man, where'd you get a five or six string? You know what I say? I go, hey, hey, dude. I go, if you can't get a job done with the four string, that, that fifth one ain't going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny, you know, when you look around for BC riches, they're they don't they're not in high circulation anymore, which is kinda of weird. No, they're not. They never really like, they really they never really were that good of a guitar, but it was a great live. It was great for live. I would only use it for live. Right. I never used it for the live. In the studio I'd use like nineteen sixty fender positions and shit like that. No kidding. But those riches look cool, so I, I understand why you use them live. But they were good and they sounded fine for live what we had to do. But in the studio I wanted to use those vintage old fender precisions. I had a nineteen sixty Things like 51 years old now. No, sorry, 61 years old. What am I saying? It's 61 years old. And that thing that only goes to the studio. Perfect. Well, hey, guys, it's been fun talking with you. I wish you a lot of luck with your upcoming project. Once you get it out, send me some uh, links, and I'll, I'll put it on my page. But, uh, I will, I'm, man. We'll see. What, what are, we're, we just got done recording. We're doing scratch tracks here. And, and, uh, Tim's got recording stuff here. we got the guitar and, uh, you know, laptop and all that shit, garage band. So we're... But when we go to Nashville, it's going to be a motherfucker. I'll tell you that right now. That's awesome. Rob Langer, Songs from the Ward. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you lots of luck with it. All right, Mike. Thanks, guys. Thank you for the interview. You got it. Have a good night. Well, that was great talking with Johnny and Tim. Make sure you subscribe. I know you're going to dig the episodes that are on the way. Rock on!